The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. The Lord has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, Jesus' ministry is really taking off now, isn't it? Last week, if you recall, we heard about his mother's urging to begin his ministry at the wedding feast in Cana. And now this week, he's in the temple in his sort of grown-up town, growing up town of Nazareth, standing up to read the ancient text that in and of itself is a fulfillment of prophecy. These are his first public words of ministry, except for when he was 12, if you remember, when he was in the temple after his parents had already left, probably speaking with all of the leaders. But if this is his first clear step in ministry and the echoing of his forebears about what God's kingdom, about what God's ministry is all about. He's basically there to say, here it is, and here I am as a result. Being that these are Jesus' first public words that we read about in Luke's gospel, even though they are not his own, they are important because they are the scripture that he's grown up hearing and learning since an early age. And so has everyone else that is bearing witness to this. The only part of today's passage that are his own actual words come at the very end in verse 21 when he says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. If we understand the context of Jesus being in a place that where he is basically claiming that he is the prophesied Messiah, it sort of leaves us at the end of this passage with a feeling of anticipation, perhaps of frustration as well. It is the in the realm of a cliffhanger 
in any novel or show that captures your attention and your imagination. What a thing for him to say. To leave the people stunned, maybe frustrated, but wanting to know more about what he means by saying, Today in your presence, this scripture has been fulfilled. It's likely that he left them with so many questions. We really love a good story. One that is full of surprises, twists and turns, and ultimately an ending that leaves us feeling safe and content. And it strikes me how much the story of Jesus' life and ministry are very much that type of tale. In fact, as you heard us discuss in the children's sermon today, there are many stories in this book of faith that are a part of our whole story. One that is fraught with twists and turns and ultimately an ending that makes us feel safe and content. And I fully believe, like so many faithful in the world, that our God incarnate, our God made flesh in Jesus, had many gifts for continuing to tell this story, for preaching and for doing ministry, which what is what makes this part of the story so inspiring. But more importantly, this gives us so many examples with which to follow. Like I noted last week, it's really important for me to continue to reflect on the importance of Jesus' earthly parents in Mary and Joseph when preparing him during his growing up years for all that was ahead of him. One of my friends and colleagues in ministry shared a reflection in his own sermon preparation this week that I want to share with you too, because it so resonates with my own longing to bring light to the importance of what it means to be role models for faith, just like Jesus' parents were as the parents to the Son of God. My friend Eric writes this, In my holy imagination of the childhood of Jesus, I think of Mary tucking him in at night and reciting scriptures like Amos 5, Let justice roll down like waters. I imagine that their home decor was styled with calligraphy on the walls like you see in the U.S. sometimes. But instead of expressions like live, laugh, love, the words on the wall were, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, from Isaiah. We know of Mary's convictions about God because of her song that she sings in Luke 1. Mary knows that God is the one who casts the unjust mighty down from their thrones and fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich away empty. So when Jesus gets up to preach his first sermon in Luke 4 that you heard today, I imagine the words that fall out are the words that were placed in him by his mother and his father since birth. The same words he stared at above the kitchen table at every meal they shared together. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of God's favor. 
These words are words that were so near and dear to him, the same way words like John 3.16 are so near and dear to so many of us because of how much we and how much our ancestors, our parents, our grandparents recited them when we were growing up. These words are second nature. They live in our head because of the ways that our parents' steadfast faithfulness to God's mercy and righteousness has been brought about in us. To have the words of God's gospel for the marginalized on the very tip of our tongue and directing our every move. This is the model Jesus gives as he begins his ministry in Luke. And that's the form in which he molds us as his disciples. Now, my friend Eric's wise and inspiring words aren't a sideways way of telling us how important it is to memorize Scripture or to force our children to do so. Rather, his holy imagination about Jesus' childhood is a holy imagination about what our world might look like if we acted with just a fraction of the faithfulness that the parents of Jesus did, but especially Mary. By knowing and telling these stories in our family because they define who we are and whose we are. That is God's. Last week you heard me marvel at the faith and willpower that it took for the mother of Jesus to encourage that small miracle, although no small miracle of turning water into wine at the wedding feast, because that indicated the beginning of Jesus' ministry that would ultimately lead to the end of his ministry in his very death. What would such a faith look like for us in this life, whether we are parents or not? To be so confident in what God is accomplishing through and with us that we willingly push each other into ministry no matter the consequences. Because all should feel that they have the ability for ministry as children of God. I'm always amazed at how well children understand this from a very early age. And even more how they try to live it out. We try really hard as parents, don't we? But we don't always succeed to model for the children in our lives what it means to use the gifts God has given us to help those on the margins in any small or large way that we can. We certainly all have the gifts for ministry, even if they are not all the same gifts. Thanks to the amazing ability and work of the Holy Spirit, we can be the one body of Christ doing the work of God wherever we are. Paul's letter to the Corinthians that you heard is a stirring reminder of how much we should celebrate everyone's gifts for ministry. Its introduction sounds in the realm of famous one-liners from heroic revolutionary stories. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. Though many, we are one. 
Not only does this mean we are so intricately connected to our God through Jesus, so are we connected to each other through the ministry we share in the kingdom of God. As cliche as it may sound, these words are timeless and ones that the world always needs to hear. Everyone in the world is always in need of hearing Paul's call to unity, even in the midst of our great diversity. Paul's words also point out the equal importance of every part of the body of Christ, despite some seeming more useful than others. But our diversity of gifts, all a part of one body doing the ministry of God, is what makes our story our part in the book of faith, such a great one to tell. We are connected to all in faith who have come before us and will come after us. So I invite you, as Paul does, as Jesus does, to remember this when you gather and tell stories about who you are and whose you are, to the glory of our amazing God. Amen. Um.